Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. We're lucky to have in the studio Michaela Kiner of Uniquely HR. Michaela, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. For sure. Hey, for, so for those of us or those in the community who don't have, haven't heard of your company, Uniquely HR, why don't you tell us, tell us what it is and what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are three things that we do well. We do HR consulting, management and leadership development, and also executive coaching. Uh, under HR consulting, we do a lot of HR for startups, and that usually looks like two different things. One is uh, what we call our startup starter package, so 20-hour package that you can use over three months to get kind of your HR fundamentals out of the way. So um, usually for, for the smaller and newer companies, we can help you with your handbook, your policies, uh, how you want to think about talent, pay and performance, and things like that. So just get some fundamentals in place, and then we go away until you need us again. Uh, for larger companies, usually you know 25 and growing, or folks who are more complex, maybe uh, multi-state or international, um, we'll actually come in and head up their HR function. But we're usually spending a day or two a week. So we have a you know, VP or director level HR person that's part-time. They'll do everything from uh, strategizing, you know, with the CEO down to filling out the unemployment claim, help you choose benefits and payroll system, and um, pretty much everything in between until you're ready for your first full-time HR hire. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and then the, 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 the other two pieces were the executive coaching and then the, you said leadership? Yeah, ma uh, management and leadership. So on the management side, we do everything from what I call really good manager fundamentals. So that could be for your first time manager, your newly promoted manager, things like um, how to manage performance, how to give feedback, how to coach and delegate, motivate and inspire teams. And then we go all the way up to executive uh, workshops, retreats, um, Team building, not the like outdoor ropes and things like that, yeah. but trust building, decision making, um, those type of topics. And then in between, we also do some styles work. So if people have heard of uh, DISC as a tool we use, it would be similar to Myers-Briggs or Insights, which a lot of people are familiar with. So helping teams get to know each other as individuals, styles and preferences so they can work better together. Um, and then the coaching, which is one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching. We say leaders at any level, so it could be a first-line manager, um, it could be an executive or a CEO, and that's one-on-one -on -one coaching, usually uh, three to six months worth of work where usually people are working to either build a skill that uh, they've always known they need to build or change a behavior that is longstanding, and they just haven't been able to make that change on their own. Right. Well, that sounds like a really fun and varied basket of... It's fun and varied. It's super diverse. Um, we're into our third year, and I would say it's been fun every single day, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So you started by yourself, and then after a while you hire people. How big is the team now? Yeah. Um, we're up to about 20 consultants. We just onboarded uh, five or so new executive coaches because we're really going to invest in that business in the coming year. Okay. Uh, and then we have a very fantastic staff of five, including myself. Okay. Okay. And so talk to, what, what's the sort of average, like when does it, at what size does a company usually reach out to you? Yeah, uh, we have some pretty small companies. I'd say the smallest that we're working with are uh, probably six or eight, but they come to us for two reasons. One is either they just want to be really intentional about how they're thinking about these things. Um, maybe it's the interviewing and hiring. They want to make sure that they're hiring the right people and doing that the right way. They want to be thoughtful about culture and values, so they'll call us in to do that type of work. 
Um, I'd say that the average would be more sort of 15 to 25 um, who look for that small starter package. And then on the other side, you know, we work with companies up to about 500. Um, the larger ones, typically, they have their head of HR, but they probably don't have the manager training internally, or, of course, they don't have coaching internally, and so they're bringing us in to augment what they do. Um, the only large companies we work with, which is, you know, by exception, just based on some relationships that we had, are Amazon and Nordstrom, and there we're really doing senior staff augmentation. We're just sending over a senior person to a team that's shorthanded. I gotcha. So talk to me about the... Um so uh, we do, or I do, I guess, Mike, I don't know if you do so much of this, but I incorporate a lot of companies yeah. and then there's the founder or the founders, and then there's, um, you know, I help them through their first employee hire. Um, and that's, you know, getting a first employee hire done is, um, you know, whatever, I guess you'd say it's more complex than their second one because, because you've done it before by the time yeah. you get to your second one. Yeah. But at what point do you like, um, I mean, it seems to me a lot of the, it seems to me maybe six to eight is the dividing line where they should start thinking about you. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Like um, a lot of people, I think, um, not, are, just, are just uncertain about when to, when to really start thinking about outsourcing some of this, some of this functionality, yeah. which is essentially what, what you provide. And you Absolutely. provide a really nice mechanism because people, I mean, there's just a lot of little nitty gritty details that if you forget or you fail to do correctly, can kind of haunt you later. Absolutely. You definitely want to avoid that. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say it's never too early to start thinking about this stuff, but uh, resources are limited, meaning money is limited in a startup, and I totally get that. And so, you know, we encourage people, I mean, do as much as you can on your own. I think it's when, and it's usually the founder, the COO or CFO, whoever was kind of um, saddled with HR, as I yeah. like to say, and probably um, doesn't like it, has never done it, and really doesn't want it. When it starts to interfere with that person's day job is usually when we get the call or if they're going to you know, do something big and new that they haven't done or they're really like, oh, we really haven't had that handbook or we need an HR system. We don't know what to choose. A great example, I was, uh, I was talking to two founders, a very early stage digital marketing firm, and one of the founders said, you know, I'm trying to write my handbook, and he had actually joined SHRM, which is the Society for HR Management. He said, I've downloaded like 10 uh, sample handbooks, and I'm trying to, you know, put them together. And I kind of went, yeah, like, wouldn't you rather be out talking to potential customers yeah. and yeah. let let us do the handbook, right? right. That's just not a good use of his time. Sure. Well, if you've got, like, if you've got... Five employees, you don't really need a handbook. <laughs> when you, True. I mean, he, yeah, they were they were probably at about eighteen okay. and growing okay. 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 and growing, right? And I think it's usually about that growth. Yep. If you're at five and you're gonna be at five for a year, you, you might have one question for us. You're free to call us and ask yeah. us a question. You know, that's never a problem. But yeah, you, you you probably don't need to hire us. I think of it as pent up demand. So when you're getting to that size and then you're like, Oh, we really need the handbook or we haven't thought about our uh, PTO policy. And then we realize maybe we're not hiring that well, you know, we've had some mishires. So there's usually some accumulation of things. And which is why we do the 20 hours. I'm like, look, we work for you, we'll spend that 20 hours, however you want. Or maybe you're wondering, I don't know if I'm compliant. I don't know if I'm putting the right piece of paper in my employee file. And it, it's just easier to call us than go do that research on your own. Right. I've certainly seen a lot of companies sort of miss getting critical paper from people. And then, um, I mean, the classic example is just the, the employee fails to sign the, 
Innovations proprietary rights assignment agreement, or alternatively, or alternatively, for some reason, the company has the person just sign a regular old-fashioned confidentiality agreement. Like, well, what's the? You know, they, they don't, they don't, and the, and then the paperwork across the employee base is not, it's just not done correctly oh, yeah. throughout, and that can become really painful later. We've worked with companies who weren't sure who was their employee versus who was their contractor, you know, and I get it. Like things get messy. People are moving fast. You're focused on product and customers and you're trying to make some money and make payroll. So this is not, it's not at the top of the priority list on day one. I think it hits the top of the priority list pretty soon. Right. Well, what do you think about the, uh, so one, one question I frequently get asked is, uh, or I think Mike, you might get asked this question too, but I mean, the question being, Hey, we're going to hire this person. You know, this is going to be his or her role, and kind of here's kind of where we're at in our growth curve. What what sort of equity stake should we offer? What's a fair equity stake to offer this type of person in this situation? Do you how do you handle those strips of inquiries? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think you know there's there's some good uh, market data available when it comes to compensation and equity. If people are venture funded, then you know I know those firms like Madrona, for instance, um, they carry that information and they right. share it with their founders. And I think what's important is that people look at that from all different angles in terms of you know what's your company size, what's your stage, how much equity is there, you know, thinking uh, forward looking about dilution and things like that. Um, so they want to be detailed, but I would say that we try to help people find the resources that exist and then really consult. Um, there are some local firms who exclusively do compensation and some are focused on startups. And so if someone's trying to, you know, really build out, um, how they're thinking about equity or create a more complicated compensation structure beyond just those initial pay ranges, uh, we're going to recommend that, you know, let's bring in a partner who's a comp expert because that, that really is a unique expertise. We have one comp person on our team right now. He's on assignment with the company. He's not an internal resource for us. Right. So definitely anything that we don't um, specialize in, we have partners in the community who do. Right. What are what are salaries looking like these days? You know, it's been a while since I've been in a, in a company. Um, and so I get a little detached from what the going rate is for things. Um you know, so so like in terms of startups, hiring developers, hiring salespeople, hiring um, management folks. I mean, like, what's the what's the typical uh, salaries range looking like, and 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 combined with equity? I'm just curious because every once in a while I hear a number from someone that that uh, for, for what some particularly some of the larger companies are paying um, for development. Uh, and and I think wow that's you know that's that's higher than it used to be. Is that <laughs> what's 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 the what's the market look like right now? I'm just I curious. Mean, yeah, they're surely higher than they used to be. And I think what I find interesting about tech startups, so the the well funded tech startups will truly um, attempt to compete with folks like Microsoft and Amazon on pay because they're often you know hiring from there. Or they're hiring people who used to work there. So. They're, um, I mean, Amazon packages are pretty rich, so I'm not saying a startup can have a, a complete package that's as rich as an Amazon, but at least in terms of salary, they'll try to meet those. Um, you know, even an entry-level software engineer at a, at a good company could be coming in anywhere from 90 to 110 or 120, and that's just base pay, right? It's not even thinking about bonus opportunity, equity, and things like that. So what's interesting on the engineering side is I think, you do see companies recognizing that um, they have to pay a certain amount of cash just to attract that talent. Across other roles, I think it's more likely that you're going to see the salaries coming in a little bit lower, but offset by equity. 
but it's it's just I think it's the nature of the market and it's the nature of what's going on in Seattle that engineering just continues to be at a premium. Interesting. Yeah. Also, I was curious to know. So, from my background, I, I've I've created a bunch of products and put them out, but I almost always do them. I, my my company is like a single person company, and I I work with other people through contract and. Uh, and I've always tried to keep things really simple from a, from an employment standpoint. So I keep everybody at, uh, I work with most people at kind of arm's length. Um, one time I had an employee that was like an intern that I brought in and I went through the process, but I'm curious, uh, a lot of companies go straight into, you know, just, they raise money and they hire a bunch of employees because they just get right into that. Um, other folks that are more in indie developers like me, you know, tend to try to stay independent and, and maybe avoid going into that until it's necessary. What does that first step look like when you bring in an employee or two? Um, you know, how is that different from hiring a contractor in terms of the, the bureaucracy that you're bringing on yourself? You, you know, so like, so there's a, there's a hit to your, um, you know, hire someone with a contract, you write them a check, you sign a, you know, you send them a, uh, the tax forms at the end of the year, but you don't really have this like payroll to manage or, or, um, or any kind of like employment overhead. But I'm curious to know, you know, what does that, what does that look like? How, what what are the things people have to think about when they hire an employee versus a contractor for maybe for the first time? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, uh, I think like ha- having employees, it's scary, you know, it's scary to go from not having had employees or maybe you've had, you know, to kind of the friends, the interns, the volunteers, and then you're making that commitment. Um, I, you know, I do think, I do think it's a commitment and we really encourage people to be thoughtful about saying, you know, is that, is it a genuine need? Are you sure you're going to need you know that person and those skills six months and twelve months from now? So it's not seasonal. It's it's not a contractor. It's not a temporary role. Um, you you do need to think about those logistical things like payroll, uh, how to process payroll. Do you if, recommend they just hire ADP? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. So. Um, Nothing against ADP. Okay, there, okay. there are some smaller and lighter weight solutions okay. out there, like okay. Gusto. Um, we used Gusto for quite some time. It's online. You load but your people same, in. You push a button. It takes care of taxes. Gotta, yeah. Yeah. You've got to fund the taxes, or they won't run the payroll. Yeah. They file the tax. Oh, totally. Tax oh, yeah. If you've I never done payroll tax reporting. It's the brain damage. You should oh. just hire someone to do it. Yeah. I don't. Like, tell, I'm tell in us HR. A, and, yeah. Is Gusto is Gusto much difference? I think I use paychecks, and that's just for my own. Uh, salary stuff. So they, they deal with like quarterly payroll and, and taking taxes out. How is Gusto different than that? Like, I'm curious, I, I've seen it from some, some uh, clients that I work with that they use yeah. it to pay. What, what's, what's the difference? Like, how does that, yeah. uh, easier, does that work? A little easier tools I, to use. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very user friendly. So it definitely takes care of the payroll, you know, at the click of a button. It has some other nice little features like, um, you know, send, send this welcome to your new employee because they're starting today or it has some ways to do. I think you can like celebrate and recognize a team member. So there are a couple bells and whistles, but I think I, I would go for the simplicity. So whether it's paychecks, gusto, there's uh, paylocity is another one. Um, but definitely, automate. I mean, I'm an HR person and I wouldn't claim that I can, you know, sit down and calculate payroll taxes, not a good use of any of our time. Um, yeah. And then benefits, right? So if you have any kind of benefits, whether that's, you know, the, your medical and your health benefits, whether it's a, a perk, like, Hey, we give out, uh, an ORCA card to employees, but you know, you have to track those things. You're gonna have to do, you know, payroll deductions. And so, yeah, I think the easy answer is, um, choose a tool that takes all of that overhead off your plate. Now, one, one, one 
a couple of different hotspot areas that um, come to mind for me that I see people kind of consistently screw up. Uh, one is this concept that, oh, if we hire so-and-so as an intern, we can we don't have to pay them anything or we can just, they can get credit for school or I'm not even sure if they're in school, but they're going to be an intern. <laughs> so that's one, which is basically, I like to tell people, well, first of all, there's really no such thing. It's very narrow. It's a very narrow set of circumstances under which you can bring someone and not pay them like minimum wage in cash, right? Um, it's just kind of a thing, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then the other one I, I see people screw up all the time, which kills me, is they are starting to run out of runway. And so then they, quote unquote, de start deferring salaries, which is a disaster because you're basically admitting you owe people salary. And then if you can't pay it, it's a personal liability of the directors and officers. And directors and officers can get sued personally for that. And it's not only the amount you didn't pay them, it's two times the amount you didn't pay them, plus the lawyer's attorney's fees on the other side. And so you can quickly, I mean, quickly get to a very large number pretty fast. Yeah. And so what I always tell people in the quote unquote deferred salary context is no, 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 you never defer anything. You never accrue anything. What you do is you do a salary reduction agreement. Yeah. You reduce them to minimum wage in cash if you have to go that low. And by the way, you've got to pay every employee at least minimum wage in cash, almost always. I mean, the... The FLSA has, a, has an exception for what a 20% or more owner, but there's no state law exemption that corresponds in Washington state. So reduce everyone's salaries, get them to agree their salaries reduced. And then, and then in your salary reduction agreement, agree to pay them a bonus. If you hit a milestone allowing you to pay the money, like, okay, we're going to reduce you to minimum wage in cash. When we raise money from a third party in at least 500,000 or 750 or a million bucks in amount or whatever that is, we're going to pay you a bonus. Oh, and coincidentally, the bonus amount is going to be it's going to be the amount of your salary foregone. Yeah, I completely agree with you on the deferred salary. I think you have to look at what uh, what the challenges are, what's really going on, and, and I'm with you. you just can't uh, can't run a business like that. And so, yeah, you know, I've seen I've seen people willingly um, agree to taking that that deduction well, right they, because they're committed to the company sure. and they well, want they to stay. Don't. I mean, if you're running out of runway and you can't afford to pay someone the cash you owe them, and they they won't sign a salary reduction agreement. You're going to have to fire them. They have to quit. Yeah, they have, have to, to quit. Them. Exactly. Um, the intern question, uh, I'm, I'm laughing because it is a funny one. And people think, oh, if I just call you an intern, that makes you an intern. And then I don't have to pay at all. Or I can pay you a stipend or, you know, less than minimum wage. Um, I, I mean, give you, you a certificate of completion at the end of the summer. Yeah. And you can claim you got some credits. You guys know the, the legalities <laughs> on this, right? But if you look up the definition of the intern, I think what people don't realize is that the intern should actually be a burden on your organization because they are there to learn. And so unless they're doing more learning than working, they probably don't qualify as an intern. And I think organizations really need to be thoughtful and be ready when they bring on interns because you want the intern to have a good experience. You want them to learn. You want them to go back to their campus and say great things about you. And, you know, grabbing coffee, making copies and filing does not qualify as an internship. They should really be learning something challenging. They need their, you know, manager or buddy uh, to spend time educating them. And, and in addition, you know, they can do some work or they can do a, a really good and meaningful um, project. So it's not to say don't challenge them, but just remember you're supposed to be teaching them along the way. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I did uh, intern, in, I brought in an intern from UW and it was part of a, a program. And looking back, it was, it was way more trouble than it was worth. I mean, in terms of just setting up the employment relationship and all that, but, um, but it was good. I mean, it was, it's through, I don't know, you may know more than I do about this program, but at the time, this was probably about 
I don't know, nine years ago or something like that, there was a program with Washington State where you would you would hire someone from the UW who is looking for some work experience. They still got paid, um, you know, above minimum wage, I believe. And then, but the state had some kind of stipend that would you could you could submit and you'd get some portion of it that was paid by the state. So you'd be paying the the employee a reasonable amount. Um, the state of Washington would give you some of it back. Um, and it had to be, you know, educational related, uh, you know, there had to be some, some training opportunity there. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. I, I thought it was, it worked out pretty well. I had a, uh, computer science student come and, and help me with, um, you know, I, I was kind of taught him about the app business at the time. The app business was kind of starting to thrive. It was, it was like the middle of the gold rush. So it was a pretty good time to be like able to sit down with somebody who had apps in the store and have them show you how to do it. So I felt like it was a pretty good pretty good relationship, but it was a lot of work. I mean, really, I mean, you're with an intern, um, you know, you, you have to teach them how to do everything that they're going to do. Um, and then you still have to pay. So in the end, and with all the employment, like setting up payroll and, uh, and all that, it, it ended up being kind of a wash, I thought. Um, but it was still, it was a good experience to meet, meet and work with somebody else. And it showed me that, you know, what, what it would, if I ever wanted to hire like a real employee that actually sat and, and did work, um, it gave me a sense of what that, what that overhead looked like. Um, just a, a glimpse of it. Yeah. yeah. There's some great, um, I go out to the UW, uh, uh, with Randall Lucas and Voyager and we sit in the, uh, we sit in the computer science hall and we just, uh, we do office hours. We talk to people and, uh, there's some great, um, there's some great talent out there. There's some really great talent, um, really smart young people who are looking for internships. Um, yeah. And I've had clients, I mean, it's, um, I've had clients have really good experiences hiring um, people, you know, young people in school and for the summer. And um, so it can be a really, I think it can be a really good thing to do as a, as a business. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good for business. I think it's, you know, good for the community as well. I came out of big companies that have huge intern programs, right? Microsoft right. and Amazon. And you know, I think the benefit that they have is they can be so structured about it. They can be programmatic. They, you know, assign the buddies and the mentors. They do the fun events, like take people out to a game. And, uh, you know, of course, the interns get to network amongst each other. Yeah. But I, th I think even if you do have um, a single intern, we have, we've had two interns along the way. It's done really well by us. Uh, when we were at, uh, we used to be at WeWork, now we're over at Galvanize, but we had even brainstormed with WeWork where, you know, a lot of small companies sit there, a bunch of them might have a single intern that you could actually do an intern program within a uh, co-working space yeah. and, you know, at least get the interns together, maybe have some of those, you know, nice benefits, even if you yourself only have a single intern for your company. Yeah. What do you, uh, speaking of benefits, by the way, since you said that, um, uh -huh. So the W. So if if you've got like a founder and a co-founder, um, you know maybe maybe you've got a and then a, a third person who uh, maybe is a founder or maybe they're a contractor or maybe they're going to be an early employee. And um, what do you do for benefits? Do you call the WTIA or do you call? I saw does a GeekWire do a thing now. Or is that in my imagination? I saw that the other day. I haven't seen one through GeekWire. Okay. I know the WTIA uh, has done benefits for a long time, and they're now trying to expand into those uh, the really small, I think, like the five or less than five. Right. So um, we're actually chatting with them. I think they're going to be a great resource for that. There's uh, a small firm that we like to use called PBS, Professional Benefit Services. Okay. They're also good in the, the one-plus category. Okay. So I do, I think, you know, there are a handful of brokers who really specialize and are willing to work with small companies. What I would say is um, 
we've seen companies where the founder thought they were saving themselves money by figuring all of that stuff out on their own without a broker, you're not saving a penny. So you're actually just creating, you know, a lot of pain and agonizing work for yourself. My biggest advice is really just find a broker who's going to help you. And they should be able to share benchmarks with you and, you know, strategies. What are other companies your size and industry doing? They can do the administration. They can, you know, process the changes and things like that. So it's, you know, another thing that I think executives and founders should not uh, spend a lot of personal time on once you've selected the plan that's right right for you. Right. I'm curious as a, with a single with a single person company or a company with a couple employees, um, you know how does that process look in terms of, of finding insurance? Does it right now like so? I've got my own company. I'm the only employee in it, um, and uh, so in terms of insurance, we we just buy insurance through this general state uh, marketplace, right? The, yeah. the Obamacare style thing. Um, and so I, I've thought about looking to see if it makes more sense to set something up for the company as a whole, but it just always seemed like that might be hard to do when, when there's just one person in the pool. Um, is that, what does that look like for you said, you mentioned some folks that do work with uh, one to five person companies or one plus, I mean, what does that look like? Is that a, is that a thing people should be looking into? It's viable. Yeah, you you can do it. Um, when I first went out on my own, I spent six months, just me. And, um, I did use PBS as my broker. Um, you know, so it becomes a cost of the organization. Again, they're doing, administration, re-enrollment, if I, you know, had a problem or a dispute uh, with the benefits firm, you know, they can go out and help me handle that as opposed to me sitting on the phone with regents or whomever. So, you know, I think when you're solo, you do have a lot of options. Um, You can do the state, you can, uh, you can buy direct. So I know like you can go to the region's website and buy direct. Um, Costco actually has a health plan exchange where they list a lot of, and it's uh, well-known plans. But you'll see like unlimited options that you can actually purchase uh, directly through Costco, or you can go with a broker if you feel like you want to save yourself some of the headaches. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. So the um, it's all this sort of secret knowledge that you have that Mike and I don't have. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> well, like that. Well, that's, but, that's, but that's kind of the gist of it, right? Because you because you are helping all these companies in all these in all these different ways. You know all the little things like who are the Who's probably the best payroll service to use? Who's the benefit provider you should call? What other secret knowledge you have that you need to share with our audience right now? Yeah, that's fantastic. We do. We um, we try really hard to know people in the community who do all of the things that startups need. You know that we don't do directly. So I mentioned some of the um, the benefit brokers. We talked about some of the automated payroll solutions. Um, we're also working with a C- our CPA firm who's getting into accounting, bookkeeping, and payroll. Um, they're called R.D. Burnett. And, you know, our, our payroll, if you're a services firm and consulting firm, your payroll may be more complex. Like we've talked to a lot of firms with a similar model to ours where a single consultant might have multiple clients. They might be working at different bill rates, depending what they're working on. So Gusto can't handle that. Right. Most of the, the automation kind of um, breaks down. So these guys are helping us with our time tracking system. They're um, customizing a software called T-Sheets for us, and uh, they're going to run our payroll, which we're really excited about. Um, other questions we get, you know, we often get the questions on the tech side, uh, where can I find female engineers or, you know, just resources in general for women in tech. Uh, we actually volunteered with a, a number of other folks last year and did some of that work with the WTIA. So, 
You can find it. They have a tremendous amount of resources around women in tech, and they have employer resources as well as employee resources. That's a lot right. of that information has been centralized. I think one of the, the hard things in the startup community is that there's so much great work going on in Seattle. It's very decentralized. So sometimes people are asking the same 12 people uh, the same questions over and over mm -hmm. because we haven't centralized resources. That's something that we really like. Um, Oh, you know, we get asked about meetups. Um, yeah. So you, you could go to meetups and events all day long. I've heard if you look at, uh, just look at startup-related meetups in the Seattle area, you'll get over 500 results. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you a couple of our favorites, and I think this is great for leaders who want some inspiration, you know, maybe you want to see some role models, and people who are thinking differently from yourselves, or just anyone in the startup community who's interested in leadership. Uh, my top two are Startup Grind. Uh, we are a sponsor of Startup Grind, but you know, I was out there last night. I think it's amazing just um, the people who Mike chooses to interview and the candor, right? It's down to earth. It's a fireside chat. So he really gets the human side of leaders. The other one that a lot of people don't know is called the CEO Forum. It's held four times a year over at the World Trade Center. It's run by a woman named Terry Sitterman, who's a CEO coach. And she'll get um, three local CEOs. And she has incredible topics, like one was on diversity, she had Jonathan Spizzato, um, she'll have purpose-driven leadership, she's had folks from, you know, Holland America, True Panion, just Sir Latab, like a real mix of companies. But um, I think, again, what you see is you see very successful leaders talk, speaking very personally about important leadership issues and important issues in the workplace. So um, that's a must. I will be there all four times a year. If yeah. I'm in town, okay. I will absolutely be there. Yeah, that's really good to know. That's really good to know. Well, fun stuff. Well, we really have appreciated having you on the show. Thank you. So thank you very much for being here. Mike, do you have any parting thoughts? No, that's it's been a great conversation. Thanks for being on the show, and uh, thanks everyone else for listening. And so we'll hold, see you hold all on. next week. Oh, one if more folks thing. Wanna, yeah, sorry. If folks want to get a hold of you, Michaela. What's the easiest way? Michaela Kiner, Uniquely HR. Probably just Google that, and your name pops yeah, up. Yeah, you'll find me. I'm Michaela at uniquelyhr.com. Um, you can write to us through their website info at. We're ha happy, like I said, just have a chat or a cup of coffee anytime. Um, I do have an offer, too. Can I do an oh, sure, offer? Sure, yeah. yeah, we run uh, a monthly workshop called Managing for Engagement and Innovation, and our mid-January workshop is going to be dedicated to female founders. So um, if you're interested, send us a note, or you can find some links on social. But um, we're doing that at cost. You don't have to be a founder. You can be a, a woman entrepreneur. Uh, we thought it would be a fun way to bring the community together. So yeah. hope, hope to see you there. That sounds great. Yeah. Thanks so much Thank for having so me, much, you guys. Michaela. It was great to have you on the That's show. That's awesome. Right on. Thanks. Take Take care. See everybody next time. Bye. Bye.